Mother's Day. Woo. I'm a big spender. I gave my mom a card today. It, her birthday is like two weeks ago. It's kind of kind of stink because you know you buy a gift. And it's like, oh, it's Mother's Day. Uh, here's a card. You know, so, that's great. So I, I just need to give you guys one announcement before we get going today. And that's this. We, we have a, a ministry that we do as part of Element where if someone's in the hospital, either they have a baby or they're sick or something like that, or maybe they get hurt, uh, we, we have a ministry of some ladies who go when they actually make meals for those families. Uh, right now, uh, we, we've had a lot of people in the hospital and having a lot of, ba- like our baby palooza that's going on. We've had a lot of that lately. So we've got a lot of meals that have been being made. And the lady who is in charge of that, she's like, I am making meals all the time. And so it, the cost, she's a great cook, right? But it's costing a lot of money to make all these meals. Uh, we do have like a lot of people involved in it, but there's just so many babies and so much stuff going on that we need more people. So if you would be willing, you know, maybe once a month when something happens, that you would be willing to make a meal and take it to a family. In the back, there's a thing that says general volunteer sign-up. Just sign up on that and write meals next to your name, and we'll get it to the lady in charge of that, and we'll put you like on a, on a list if something happens because it's not that hard to... You could even like go in and buy pizza or something. And, or, yeah, okay. You know what's so funny? Pizza is like, you know, covered in cheese, right? So I, I'm on this uh, low cholesterol diet because I found I had high cholesterol. And I did this wedding yesterday. And I don't know if you know, there's a guy, a guy named Butch Nogus and a guy that goes here named Rick Teixeira. They made uh, all the food for it. When they cook, they cook like tri tip and chicken and, and bread and. I fell off the wagon yesterday. <laughs> I'm a little sick right now because I ate way too much meat and bread. No, no roughage, just meat and bread. So I'm a little. Okay, so this morning, <laughs> so so this morning for uh, Mother's Day, we got a, we have a special uh, guest speaker for you this morning. Uh, he's. This isn't something we're normally doing. We don't know we have a table up here, but uh, as we were going through this with him the last couple of weeks, he lost his podium privileges. Because, because he, 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 likes, he, he likes to do this, and so we're like, you're sitting down. And so we got him a chair and a table. It works out much better. This is Eric Morangi. Come on up. Uh, Eric's wife runs a children's ministry here, and uh, this went really great last service. And I said, don't relax. Because you get relaxed, you're going to just lose your notes. Just do it again, just like you did it. It was great. I'm going to give it a try. There you go. All right. All right, well, welcome, and he took my whole intro. My name is Eric Ranji, and my wife is Christy, but anyway, uh, welcome to you mothers here today. Glad to see you. Um, I do work back there with your kids. I uh, love it, um, but because I'm up here, I'm going to make a shameful plug for you guys to come back and help us, so if you feel led to that, please come back and help us. We could use you. All right, so mothers, uh, I'm going to make you guys a little uncomfortable right now, but that's okay because I'm a, a little uncomfortable, so... If you're a mother, I want you to stand up and stay standing for a moment, if you would, please. Excellent. Okay, stay standing. Um, now, I think we can all agree that the definition of mother has evolved through the years, maybe changed, and so I want to recognize that right now. And if you are serving as a mother, but you say you're like an older sister, stepmother, foster mother, um, probably already standing, which is good. Uh, if you meet that definition, please stand up. You know, maybe a relative or friend that's a mother, stand up. Okay, cool. So uh, I want everyone that's sitting to look around here, and these are our mothers here, and uh, they need our help. Um, 
for us that are sitting here. And for those of you that are also standing, these are your resources as well. So don't forget that, all right? So everybody stand. We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for these mothers here. I thank you, Lord, that um, you equip them, Lord, to uh, do a good job. And I pray, Lord, that um, we as a, a church body will step it up around them to give them a hand when they need it and that these, these uh, mothers here will, will use each other as well, Lord, to uh, get help. And uh, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray that you uh, speak to these people today. And uh, I just thank you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a seat. So I got to sit down because if I don't, Aaron will get mad because I start <laughs> pacing around. Um, Aaron asked me to do this a long time ago, like probably a year ago or something. And my, my immediate response was yes, because if I had time to think about it, I'd probably say no. So um, I'm glad to be up here, but you know, maybe, maybe a little nervous first time doing this, so that's all right. Um, but anyway, I'm trying to figure out, my phone is going off. That's Aaron, that's payback. I did that to Aaron one time, so I gotta turn this off. Anyway, um, so he gave me a bunch of time and I just couldn't figure out what to do. And so um, I was looking up in the back of the Bible, you know, mother, mother-in-law, sister, mother, aunt, looking up all the stories and nothing. And I'm praying about it too a little bit. And uh, anyway, one night, um, my little daughter, Brookie, she comes out of her room and it's late at night and I'm sitting down. I'm sure I was reading my Bible or something, you know, actually, I think I was watching TV. Anyway, <laughs> she, she comes out of her room and, and I'm about to lay into her because she's up still. And uh, of course, she had a perfectly good excuse because she's a perfect little girl. And um, she had read these verses that we're going to look at in a minute from uh, Exodus. And she says to me, what the crud does this mean? And uh, I try, you know, being a guy and a, and a father, man, I'm thinking, well, I got I to have something for her. So I was trying to think of something to tell her. But in the end, I really had no idea. And so I told her, I have no idea, but I'm going to try to find out. And so hopefully today we're going to get a little bit of insight into what this means. And uh, Brooke, wherever you are, if this goes good, I'm taking the credit. If it goes bad, you're taking the credit. So. <laughs> All right, so put your fingers in Exodus 4 because we're going to be there in a moment. Um, so I like this passage, and it's kind of weird, but I think it's cool. So let's get started with this. So Moses, we're going to be talking about Moses and his wife, and, and he meets her like most of us meet our wives. He had just killed somebody, and he... <laughs> And he was, he was running from the law, and he's hanging out by the local watering hole. And he sees her, uh, Zipporah, his future wife, and she is attempting to water her father's flock with her sisters. And, but there's some shepherds there, and they're, they're messing with her. You know, they're, they're trying to get there first, I guess. I don't know. So what he does is, using brute force, he scares them away. You know? and, and they're just little shepherds. He just killed a dude and buried them, so these guys were nothing. So... He scares them off, and then uh, Zipporah, who was his future wife, and her sisters go home and tell their father Jethro um, what had happened. And he says, where is this guy? Bring him over here. So uh, just like in today's world, Zipporah's father uh, rewards Moses' heroic actions by buying him dinner and giving him a wife. So that worked out pretty good for him. So they get married, they have two sons, and they settle in this foreign land to him called Midian. And... Um, a few years later, the Lord approaches Moses through a burning bush. And he sets Moses and his family out on a journey back to Egypt 
to free his people from slavery. But during this journey, a uh, seemingly bizarre incident, it's actually, it is bizarre. It's not seemingly bizarre. A bizarre incident occurs one night in their tent. And God is looking like he's going to kill Moses. And Zipporah, who is a mother and wife, steps in to handle business for him. So open up to Exodus 4, verse 24. And these are those verses that my daughter came out of room and was like, what is this? And this is what we're going to talk about today. So Exodus 4, 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So before we get into the possible meanings behind these scriptures and attempt to break it down, I think it's interesting to look at Moses' life prior to this occurring. And also cool to pay attention to is how he's using mothers and women to make sure his will gets done. And I like how Acts 7, 17 through 36 breaks this down. And this is Stephen authoring this here. So verse 17. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. And this is where we get to the time of Moses' birth. Moses' mother, after a time, had thrown, uh, placed Moses into the Nile in a, in a basket. And uh, prior to Pharaoh giving this order that all Hebrew males were to be thrown in there, he had also done some other things, but they weren't working. He had uh, given them harsher and harsher labor. He had uh, put more slave masters over them. He had told the Hebrew midwives who assist uh, the Israelites in, in childbirth, he told the Hebrew midwives, if it's a boy, kill him. But that didn't work either, and the Israelites became even more numerous. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 20. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. So we're looking back and we're seeing God using some pretty cool women to do some neat things. And uh, you know, Moses had been born and his mother had hid him for three months. And she couldn't hide him any longer. So she goes ahead, builds this basket, puts it in the Nile. And this is where Pharaoh's daughter finds him amongst the reeds of the Nile. And I really like this because it's, you know, it, it's just a story. But when I was really looking at it, it's really cool how God is using uh, these women. And it's not a coincidence what happens next. So Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the Nile. So Moses' sister is watching as the basket is floating in the Nile. And she sees it being discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket and sees mother, uh, Moses crying. And she realizes that this is one of the babies that my father has caused to be placed in the Nile. And she feels sorry for Moses. And Moses' sister, who's still observing, she approaches and asks Pharaoh's daughter, Hey, uh, you want me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby? And of course she says yes. So we all know that, that uh, Moses' sister goes and grabs Moses' real mom. And um, the Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, go ahead and take, her for, go ahead and take him for a time. Um, uh, rear him. And, and uh, not only that, but she pays Moses' mother to do this. And I thought that was pretty cool. So as I'm writing this part, uh, my wife, Christy, um, was kind of going, yeah, you need to hammer that in that, that, that Mothers need to let go in order to see God really fully working. And um, I couldn't really grasp what she was trying to tell me. 
because I'm a guy, and she was speaking from a mom's point of view. And so I said, come on up here and tell us about it. So she's going to come up here and talk to us about letting go. And she is a good mother, an awesome mother, and she had a good example herself. And so she's going to go ahead and talk to us about this. Good morning. I pointed this out to um, first service, but you you know you have a, a true mom when you are not ashamed to wear the Hello Kitty Band-Aid and you wear it proudly. So that's just, that's one of my battle scars. So um, when Eric was putting together uh, this lesson and he's like, well, I'm going to talk about Moses. And I'm thinking, okay, it's Mother's Day and Moses. And yeah, I know he had a mom and everything, but I never, I, I wasn't sure where he was going with it. But then I started to try and rethink from Moses' mom's point of view what that must have been like for her to take her baby and just release, you know, all control over this child. And so I tried to picture from a mother's point of view what it must have been like for Moses' mother to release her child into a river and how she must have cried as she was weaving the basket and making that and how her tears must have mingled with the pitch and the tar that they used to coat the basket so that it would float. And what a crushing sense of helplessness she must have experienced as she put that boat in the water and pushed it out of her control. She would have nowhere else to turn except to God at that point. All of the things she had done to keep her baby healthy and happy and safe up to that point culminated in this last act of sacrifice. And that idea, when I started to really think about it, was staggering to me as a mom. And I think as moms, we have to get to the point in our lives and in the lives of our children where we do just what Moses' mom did. We have to get to the point where we realize that if we want our children to be fully used by God, we need to actually get out of the way. So when I was raising my first baby, Jacob, and he's not so much a baby anymore, he's about four inches taller than me, but I was blessed enough to be a stay-at-home mom, and I got to control everything that went on in his life. I controlled the food that went into his mouth, the TV shows that he was watching, the experiences he was exposed to, and the people that he came into contact with. I took charge of shaping his world, and I considered it my sole responsibility to keep his world safe and secure. And then the inevitable happened, kindergarten. Now, I realize this isn't the same as pushing your child out into a river. But to me, the feelings were indeed crushing when I let go of his little hand that day and sent him off into the classroom. See, I was sending my child out into a world that was completely foreign to him. Everything I had done up until that point in controlling um, all of his experiences culminated in this rite of passage. And true, I had done what I could do to prepare him for the moment, but I remember distinctly thinking, I am basically sending my child out into a world to start making decisions for himself. Albeit, they were small decisions, but they were decisions that were going to affect his safety, his emotions, his character. And even through the pain of releasing him, I realized that I had done the right thing in letting him go. So when you're faced with this idea that you're no longer the one in control of everything that's going on in your child's life, you can do two things, and I've done both of them many times. One thing you can do is you can sit there and you can worry. And you can worry that you didn't say enough, you didn't teach them enough, you didn't love them enough. Or you can hand them over to the one who's had them in his hand the entire time. And you can just hand that control over to God. So what if Moses' mother had decided that she would just hold on to the baby and just take her chances that her baby would be found? What if she had refused to relinquish that control? Would God's plans have been realized? Of course. He is, after all, God. 
But instead of doing that, instead of God's plan coming to fruition in spite of the mother, she got to be an active participant in God's plan for this child. And I think, moms, that you, we can all agree that that's exactly what we're looking for as moms in the first place. Excellent. Thank you. I was going to say that exact same thing. Were you? That's amazing. <laughs> Just kidding. I couldn't have done that. Thank you. Okay, so back to Acts. So Moses has now been uh, reared by his mother for a time, and uh, he now gets older, and his mother takes him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became Pharaoh's uh, daughter's son. That's kind of confusing. And uh, this is when Moses gets his name, and uh, she names him, I drew him out of the water. All right, back to Acts. Verse 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So in other words, Moses was good with words and he was buff. So, verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. So this is where we get back to where Moses meets his future wife and he uh, saves him from those crazy shepherd guys. Verse 30. <clears throat> After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. So throughout this early part of Exodus, we see God using women to accomplish his goals and to continue the fruitfulness and existence of his people, the Israelites. He used the Hebrew midwives who went against Pharaoh's commands and spared the Hebrew babies. He used his mother who with faith and selflessness goes against Pharaoh's commands and keeps... Uh, Moses at home for a time. He uses his sister who had the smarts and courage to take advantage of that opportunity um, in bringing Moses back to his mother. And he uses Pharaoh's own daughter who had compassion on Moses and took him in as her own. But there's one more woman and mother that we're going to look at here in a moment that God will use to have a significant impact in Moses' life, Moses' son's life, and the continuance of God's people, the Israelites. And this is where we get back again to those peculiar verses that uh, my daughter asked me about. So let's look back at Exodus 4, 24 through 26 again. So this is verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses. Now, I know sometimes we ask God to meet us where we're at. But he was about to kill him. And so probably not the kind of meeting we're looking for. But Zipporah took a flint knife... And that's, by the way, a stone knife that's a knife. It's made out of stone. And cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. 
Now, I can absolutely picture this, um, unfortunately. Um, but she's probably looking at Moses. The poor is probably looking at him like going, gosh, couldn't you have done this? You know, as she's cleaning her hands off, maybe wiping the blade of the knife off. And, of course, then she says something profound. As she's, I kind of picture her rolling her eyes, um, saying, uh, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. And I can also, unfortunately, see the look on his face as he's probably down in the corner like, oh, my goodness, and thinking, you know, I'm really sorry, babe. I probably should have done this earlier. Um, Once he realized that, you know, he had really blown it. He had totally blown it, and his wife had to handle it for him. And um, I think that us as guys can totally relate to this, not in this exact fashion, but, um, you know, like my wife will ask me to do stuff at home all the time, and I'll just say, yeah, later, yeah, later, yeah, later. My father-in-law knows about that. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'll say, you know, then I'll come home one day, and she's changing that light bulb on it, like a footstool that's like this tall, and it's wobbling, and I'm like, oh, you know. And, uh, you know, so we can't complain when, when we don't do what they're asking us to do. So, guys, handle your business, I'm talking to myself here especially, and uh, don't get mad when she hires someone to do it for you, whatever. Just we got to take care of our ladies. So verse 25 says, Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me. And what does that mean? A lot of people, a lot of commentators believe that Zipporah was speaking of a new relationship and a realization that Moses' God was the one and only true God. See, he's living in a foreign land where they don't believe the same way he does. And most people believe that was a new beginning for their relationship and her realization and what is going on in these verses, and why hadn't Moses already circumcised his son? Uh, I think back in Acts 7.29, this, this question is answered. Uh, verse 29, Acts 7.29. When Moses heard this, that is that his murder had been discovered, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Now, the word that jumps out at me is settled. When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled. Now, it's not like it's bad that he had moved to a foreign land. Of course, he had killed somebody, and that's why he was there. But it's not bad that he was in a foreign land. He could have been an effective example no matter where, no matter where he was. The issue here is that he settled. He settled. And, and circumcision was disgusting in that culture, no doubt. And, you know, his wife was median. And so he probably just kind of let that go. And being in this foreign land he probably didn't want to show a distinction between his son and the rest of the culture. And his, da- his, his father-in-law, who, by the way, he was working for, he had a home there, he had given him his wife, he was a priest of Midian. So no doubt that was disgusting to him. So Moses, like so many of us, had seemingly become comfortable with his life. And as a result, he had probably become complacent in his worship and obedience to God. And this could have been caused by him maybe becoming a little too much like the people in his land that didn't believe the same way he did. And he was constantly around them. So Moses had probably settled in. And by not circumcising his son, he was becoming more of this land rather than just being in it. And it took a strong woman who was a mother and a wife to push him back into the center of God's will. And God used her to do that. And she stepped it up for her family, stood in the gap, and set an example. So Zipporah, when realizing that the Lord was about to kill Moses, she took the necessary steps to circumcise their yet uncircumcised child. She did what she needed to do for her family. She stood in the gap for them. 
and did what, what they couldn't or wouldn't do for themselves. And God placed her there in his life. Now, God had big plans for Moses, but Moses had this one big obstacle standing in between him and God, which had also come in between God's plans for his life. And it took Zipporah assisting him, ultimately saving Moses from death and their son from being fatherless. So why did it have to take God nearly killing Moses for this to happen? And doesn't it seem odd that God was going over all this planning with Moses, with Moses finally committing to these plans? And in the middle of traveling back to Egypt, when he finally said, okay, Lord, I'll do it, God seemingly is about to kill him and uses his wife, a woman and mother, to save him. Why? Because I believe Moses was being just as thick as most of us get sometimes. Things were just moving along from in life, and sometimes when that happens, we just feel secure, and we don't feel like we really need God's help or need him at all. And I believe this applies to a lot of us, all of us. And you may not realize it until that moment, whatever it is, happens. And there may be a bunch of them. But God has a plan for us, and we are where we are for a reason. And we are called to further God's plans. And if you're messing up in your role, that doesn't mean that God can't put you back in the center there. Now, God knew, God knew how he would ultimately lose, uh, use Moses. He knew that he would use Moses and a bunch of other people to further his plan. And so it seems like he was willing to deal with uh, all of Moses' self-doubt, excuses, lagging, and general human-like stuff to see his plan for his people through. But still, the people ultimately involved had choices to make. Moses chose not to obey God in that one way. But luckily, Zipporah had his back. God didn't make them choose the way they did. But because he is God, he knew that Moses would ultimately go back to Egypt. He knew that Zipporah would ultimately perform the circumcision, which he should have done prior. And he knew that his will would be done. God, knowing Moses, had to place he and his family in a very scary situation, an uncomfortable scary situation, forcing he and his family back into the center of his will. And I think we can all kind of relate to that, uh, but not exactly again. Um, now, what did Moses learn from this incident? Number one, put God first. God is first, but Moses wasn't living that way. After God, it's family. If you conduct your business in this order together, you and your family can accomplish what needs to be done. And this is how God designed it. And if we, if we treat it in this way, things work better and things don't get muddled. And uh, yes, we as guys are called to lead our families. And we will lead well when we have a godly woman at our side. So what good came from this event? Moses didn't die, and that's great. And uh, number two, he and his son were able to be within God's covenant. And number three, Zipporah most likely came to know the one and only true God. Okay, moms, you are called to be an example for your kids by teaching and modeling Christ-like behavior. And what does this look like in real life? Well, I feel it's a consistent, lifelong run and flack for your family, including your husband. And uh, being there for your kids, you know, showing them God through your actions, being honest, being stable, being consistent. And uh, when I was trying to think of a story in my own life relating to this. Now, there was tons, by the way, between me and my brother and sister um, where we let mom step up and handle business. Um, but one of them I thought that was kind of weird is that um, 
this old church we went to, there was this lady at this church. And she was, uh, she was mean, basically. She was mean, okay? And I was a super, super spaz kid, evident by, I can't even stand, I got to sit at a table. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, I was a spaz boy, and um, she was, I guess maybe she, I was just a spaz, and so maybe she was nice, but anyway, she was mean to me. Okay, I got that established. So we were at this store, me and my mom, and I'm in the toy section. And I'm looking at toys, and I see her, like, across the hallway. It's like, doo-doo-doo, there she is, you know. <laughs> and uh, I see her, no problem. My mom and I go home, check out. And later that night, the phone rings. And I'm upstairs. My mom's downstairs. So I pick the phone up. Wait a minute. My mom picks up. So, of course, I listen to what's going on. <laughs> and the, the, this lady goes on to say, um, oh, you know, small talk, Miss Morangi. You know, they're both involved in the church. They get their small talk out of the way. Then it's like, yeah, um... By the way, I saw Eric steal something today at the store. And I was listening. I'm like, what? Because I didn't do it. I really didn't, by the way. And um, I didn't do that. And, but she was telling my mom. She saw me steal something. So I'm listening for a minute. And then all of a sudden, I just like, I snapped. And I started freaking out on this lady on the phone. And, uh, you know, yelling at my mom. Was, I, you know, my mom's probably thinking, oh, my gosh. You know, my mom's a Sunday school teacher. at the, You know, she's probably thinking, oh, no, please don't. So anyway. So she, I'm freaking out, and my mom basically put me in my place and uh, put this lady in her place basically saying, no, it didn't, it didn't happen that way, which was cool. So, you know, I didn't necessarily deserve it because I was way out of line, but she trusted me, and I totally remember that. I mean, like it was yesterday. And the Bible shows us that when mothers conduct themselves in this way, it really makes a difference. Paul the Apostle speaks about it in 2 Timothy 1.5 when he speaks to... Uh, Timothy about his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he says, uh, what is this? Verse 5, 2 Timothy 1, 5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I really feel like this is one of the most important things that you mothers can recognize today. And everybody here, that this shows the importance that we have uh, the influence we have on our kids and their lives. And for some of you, maybe you didn't have this advantage of having this example. My wife and I were both very blessed that we had that. But some of you may not have. But for you guys, you can be that first person. And then it'll be about you know how your daughter learned from you and her daughter or son or daughter. And I think that's really important to know. And I, I also love the way this is further demonstrated to Timothy, again, by Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And he says, he's talking to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And what I think is really important to notice here is verse 14 when it says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. Now, our kids need to see us day in and day out living our lives as a good example so that they're going to know us and that we're going to be convincing to them. If they know us, if they know our true character, then they should be convinced of what we're trying to teach them. And what we're trying to teach them is God. Now, when we speak about being an example for our families and standing in the gap for them, we think of the ultimate example in Jesus and this is why every week we worship him through communion. And scripture provides us of many examples of how we as mothers 
fathers, grandparents, and others are to stand in the gap for our kids and for those around us who don't know Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says it like this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So communion isn't the only way we worship, though. We, we worship uh, through song, and the band's going to come up here in a moment, and uh, we're going to worship through song. Uh, another way we worship is through giving. We have offering boxes in the sides and the back. And uh, yet another way we, we worship is through prayer. Now, if you guys uh, out here are feeling overwhelmed, like with your roles as mothers, get prayer. And also, lean on those ladies that were standing with you earlier. Lean on them. Seek God. Lean on those ladies. Excuse me. Let me get out of the way here. And also, if you've never asked Jesus to stand in the gap for you, talk to them. Talk to them. We would, they would love to talk to you about that. Any one of us here would love to. All right? So also, we worship through eating. And uh, there's food in the back, and uh, that's called fellowship. So we worship God through that. So let's pray, you guys. I thank you, God, for dying for us. I thank you, Lord, for setting that example for us, the ultimate example of standing in the gap. Lord, I pray that we will all walk away realizing, Lord, that we have got to be real to our kids, Lord. And even those that we're just trying to convince about you, that we've got to be real, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that you bless these mothers here today. And, Lord, just give them a good day. And I thank you, God, uh, that you, you gave me a good mom and, and my kids a good mom. In Jesus' name. Amen.